About two weeks ago, I silently marked the 15th anniversary of my mother's unexpected death in a car accident on a suddenly snowy and icy road on the evening of March 3rd, 2008. As my parents drove home to North Manchester from Fort Wayne from doctor's appointments and then a stop for dinner and grocery shopping. I can hardly believe that it's been 15 years, unless I look at my 17-year-old daughter and remember that she was just two at the time. 15 years is a long time, but anniversaries have a way of stretching and compacting those years at the same time. Every now and then, not very often, but every now and then, my mother will come to me in a dream. And not all of those dreams are pleasant. Some of them, I think, are my subconscious mind's slow and laborious effort to resolve deep and lingering issues with the relationship we had. But some of those dreams are, at times, a means of comfort. You know, it's strange, but after she died, I really did have a long stretch of confusion about why I felt like I had lost some level of received caregiving in her passing. Because in all honesty, she hadn't taken care of me in a very, very long time. Instead, I had been supporting her, caring for her, quite extensively across all my adult years and even longer. In fact, I can actually say that the reversal of caregiving took place while I was still a child. It wasn't just something that happened after she and my father had serious health issues as I moved into early adulthood. It actually started long before that, when my mother had a major automobile accident followed by numerous surgeries while I was still in grade school and adults' responsibilities shifted to me and my sister. And even before that, my mother was already exhibiting emotional and mental health struggles, which required us as children to grow up much more quickly and take greater responsibility much sooner than might have been normal. So when she died, I was confused. Why did I feel like I had lost such a significant source of care like I had lost the person who took care of me, when in fact, that wasn't true. If anything, I was actually suddenly relieved of significant caregiving responsibility for her, a responsibility that had shaped my life from childhood and through my entire adulthood. Took me a while to figure it out, this thing that felt like it was true, but I knew it wasn't. It took a while, partly because during that next year, my caregiving responsibilities went off the charts as I walked with my father through his accident recovery, especially with the complications of his severe brain injury and his dialysis. But eventually I figured out that what I really missed, what I had really lost, emotionally speaking, when my mother died, wasn't her care, but her comfort. I missed her comfort. And it was a reminder to me that comfort is one of those things that is not attached 
to ability or power or influence. It is not a bottom-line measurable commodity. It is not something demonstrable or provable. It is not even something that makes a lot of sense, at least not if we are talking about logical sense. My mother had long since lost the ability to take care of me. That stopped early, probably far too early, but she could comfort me. I don't know why that was exactly. Maybe extended back to a time of pre-conscious awareness. Maybe it was because she did something kind and consistent and reliable for me before I even had any level of self-awareness whatsoever. Maybe it was because she provided for me before I could provide for myself. Held me the way babies should be held in the middle of the night. Kept me dry and fed and stimulated. Read books to me, talked to me. The voice I heard most often in the earliest part of my life. Or perhaps it was simply this, or best summed up this way. Something in me believed that she loved me and would always love me because I was her son. And nothing could ever change that. So, like the most fortunate of us could say of our mothers, she could comfort me. Even in the later days when I did a lot of supporting of my parents in very regular and tangible ways, in ways that often felt heavy with expectation and responsibility, I could still walk into their house and she would say, come sit beside me and tell me how you are. And then when I went to leave, she would hug me. She would run her fingers through the little bit of hair I still had, kiss my cheek, and tell me she loved me. She was in a weakened state at that point when she was killed in the car accident. The non-Hodgkin's lymphoma from eight years earlier had come back. Her joints, her back, and her shoulders especially had deteriorated from earlier medical treatments, and her skin was fragile bruising easily, breaking easily. She was only 69 when she died, but her physical age was much older. She was already elderly and vulnerable, moving quickly toward full dependence, but she could still comfort me. And this took me a while to process, but we know it's true. Comfort can come from the strong, the reliable. It can come from the responsible among us but it can also come from the weak and from the vulnerable. The common denominator is a deep assurance that the comforter will not abandon their calling to love, will not discontinue their touch, will not withhold their presence, no matter what, that their hand of assurance will rest on our shoulder or our cheek with the message, I love you that their comforting spirit is accessible and it is sympathetic. In the psalm for today, when I started looking at it a couple of months ago in preparation for this season of Lent, what caught my eye was this, that there's an interesting pairing in verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff They comfort me. And the interesting pairing is fear 
paired with comfort. Not fear paired or set alongside what we might think of as fear's normal antidote of safety or security or protection, but fear answered with comfort. For me, at least encountering the psalm this time around, a scripture I have read and thought about many times in the past, it made these questions come to mind. Is this how God answers our fears? Our fears as we walk in the darkest valley with expressions of comfort. And if so, what does God's comfort look like? The Hebrew word in this psalm, translated as comfort, is a bit nuanced. It is the word nacham, and it can also be translated as give forth sighs. Do you feel the presence, the gentleness in that? And so maybe an interesting side question. How would a shepherd's staff represent such comfort? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Just to address that side question first. I can, of course, imagine a shepherd's staff used as a weapon to keep a predator at bay, to stick a stick to beat off an attacker. But what if I think of it more as that crook used to draw the wandering sheep back, back toward the path, back toward the flock? Then maybe I can imagine an expanding of verse 4 of Psalm 23 to say something like this. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Because as long as you, O God, are keeping track of me, I know I won't wander too far before you draw me gently back again. Draw me close again. When I sigh, you hear me. And you sigh too. Your love keeps reaching out, touching me, guiding me back to the path, guiding me home. Back to the matter of fear contrasted with comfort. Maybe the psalmist knows as he pours out his heart to God that what we most fear isn't danger. Maybe it isn't even death. Perhaps what we fear most is disconnection or a sense of unworthiness or being forgotten or being abandoned. So what meets such fear, the fear of the darkest valley, the deepest loneliness, the deepest sigh? Such feeling, such fear is best met with the offer of comfort. I will not forget you. I will always love you. You are part of my flock. You are precious to me. Such thoughts push me along to another question. How do we offer comfort to each other? Because if Christ is the good shepherd... and we are the body of Christ, then we should be as a shepherd is to her sheep, to each other. 
How do we comfort each other? Here's one way. We decide to trust each other. I am comforted by the knowledge that there are people in my life I can trust. When I can let down my guard, I can relax. I can breathe more easily. I can feel better, easier. It is comforting to know someone is looking out for me. How can we comfort each other? Here's another way. We pay attention to each other. It is comforting to know we are seen and understood. Without being understood, it is hard to feel loved. Being misunderstood makes us feel anxious, fearful. How do we comfort each other? Here's another way. We offer kindness to each other. Small things comfort me. Several texts this week from people in our congregation who wanted me to know that they hoped I was feeling better after being sick. Some of the emojis people chose to include texts cracked me up. Clearly in one case, someone had worked extra hard at scrolling through every emoji they could possibly look at to find just the right ones because they came up with ones I had never seen before. It made me smile. Someone else sent me that one that is either praying hands or the high five. You know the one I'm talking about. There's a debate about that. And that person assured me that we both know what it really means. Simple texts, unexpected but thoughtful and timely. Some others sent a card. Cards from people who reach out often and who send many of you cards as well and cards from unexpected persons. Kindness is comforting. How do we comfort each other? Here's another way. We pray for each other. As I think about it, I think that's also part of what I lost when my mother died. Someone who always prayed for me and told me. Being in her prayers so consistently, so assuredly, so specifically was comforting. We pray for each other and it's a comfort. I pray for you and I hope that is comforting. How do we comfort each other? Here's another way. We are present to each other. You know there are people, some people, who can just walk into the room when we are under stress or in the midst of grief or under some dark cloud and simply by just walking into the room. They bring a ray of light, a ray of assurance. Maybe we can be these people to each other. And then there's this realization, this experience. I needed someone to show up for me, and you showed up. I needed someone to listen, and you listened. I needed someone, and you came. How do we comfort each other? One more thought. We are friends to each other. To illustrate that one especially, I'd like to share a story I saw the other day. It was written by Catherine Wallace as a tribute to A.A. Milne and his beloved characters of Pooh and Piglet and Eeyore. And it goes like this. It occurred to Pooh and Piglet that they hadn't heard from Eeyore for several days. So they put on their hats and coats 
and trotted across the hundred-acre wood to Eeyore's stick house. Inside was Eeyore. Hello, Eeyore, said Pooh. Hello, Pooh. Hello, Piglet, said Eeyore in a glum-sounding voice. We just thought we'd check on you, said Piglet, because we hadn't heard from you, so we wanted to know if you were okay. Eeyore was silent for a moment. Am I okay? he asked eventually. Well, I don't know, to be honest. Are any of us really okay? That's what I ask myself. All I can tell you, Pooh and Piglet, is that right now I feel rather sad and alone and not much fun to be around at all, which is why I haven't bothered you, because you wouldn't want to waste your time hanging out with someone who is sad and alone and not much fun to be around at all, would you now? Pooh looked at Piglet, Piglet looked at Pooh, and they both sat down, one on either side of Eeyore in his stick house. Eeyore looked at them in surprise. What are you doing? We're sitting here with you, said Pooh, because we are your friends, and true friends aren't put off if someone is feeling sad or alone or not much fun to be around at all. True friends are there for you anyway, and so here we are. Oh, said Eeyore. Oh. And the three of them sat there in silence, and while Pooh and Piglet said nothing at all, somehow, almost imperceptibly, Eeyore started to feel a very tiny bit better. Because Pooh and Piglet were there. No more, no less. How do we comfort each other? Trust, attentiveness, kindness, prayer, presence, friendship. How does God comfort us? In the same ways and more. With sighs too deep for understanding. With love that touches our beginnings and our endings and beyond with forgiveness and acceptance beyond our ability to understand or even imagine, with light in the valley of the shadow of death. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Thanks be to God. Amen.